Welcome to That's Barely a Game, a podcast of inspiring advice from aspiring designers. On That's Barely a Game, we sit down with game designers at the early stages of their career and tell their story. Why do they love games? Why do they design games? What do they struggle with and what do they want to accomplish? All this and more on That's Barely a Game. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That's Barely a Game. I'm your host, Mike, and today I am joined by Phil Amelon. Phil, how's it going today? Hey, Mike. Good to be here. Thank you. Good, good. You're doing okay in the current state of the world? In the current state of the world, I'm finding ways to occupy my time. That is definitely true. <laughs> I do find it's interesting. that This is, um, you know, board game design is something that I've only really started to focus on the last like six to 12 months kind of thing. And uh, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I didn't have things to do, but boy, I have things to do now. Um, so it, it's, it's nice to have something to do. So maybe, uh, maybe we'll start by you introducing yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and what you do on the day to day. Yeah, yeah. So I am from Rhode Island, which is the smallest state in America. Um, and what I do in terms of board game stuff is I've been I've been designing for a few years now. I've been actively involved in the Boston Game Makers Guild, uh, which is our like in-person meetup. Although, of course, we're not in-person meeting right now. Um, but one of the things I've done transitioning to online play is uh, we started a server called Heavyweight Championship Playtesting in January. And the purpose of that was kind of to give a home to the sort of bigger games in our community. These games that take like 90 or more minutes to play that a lot of other playtesting groups, well, you're probably not going to get your full game in there. So we have sort of made this as a place for that. And then the other thing I'm doing is uh, I'm going to be fully vaccinated very soon. And on June 1st, I'm heading west on my bicycle for an adventure that I call Board Game Bike. And I'm going to stop into all these amazing design communities that I got connected with mostly because of this Discord shift over the last year. So I am grateful to have met all these people. And I'm going to get to meet them and play their games from Rhode Island to Seattle. And it's going to be super fun. And I'm really excited about it. That's amazing. I, I, you know, you and I have talked, I, I also like to, to bike and, you know, I was off on the bike with the kids this weekend and that kind of thing. And, and, but I definitely haven't, uh, I, de- I definitely haven't got myself to the point where I've thought, Oh, I could travel across this entire country. I mean, like you, so I live on the East coast as well. I'm in the, the second smallest province in Canada. Um, and, uh, it would be something for me to decide to bike to the other coast. Like it's what made you, why did you decide to do this? I wish I knew. Um, (laughs) I've always wanted to do something like this. I spent a few years daydreaming about walking across the country. Um, I have definitely done, I've done the road trip. Uh, I took a road trip once from North Carolina to California uh, over the course of like a week. That was sort of like uh, me and one of my high school buddies. His He had a long distance relationship with his fiance and his fiance lived in Santa Barbara. So he was moving there. And this was kind of like a way to escort him across the country. Uh, so we did that. That was in like 2008. 
we played an inning of wiffle ball in every state we passed through, which was great <laughs> and fun. Uh, yeah, so I've been fascinated, I think, by the, the vast scope of America and just wanting to see it. So while the pandemic was happening, I think, I think a lot of us went through, we have all this time to reflect on what we were doing with our lives and what we wanted to do going forward as we hopefully come out of this thing. And uh, I was just looking at the states I had visited and sitting on my couch. It's like May of 2020. And I'm just like, oh, I've been to I've been to exactly half of the lower 48 states. I've been to 24 states. Clearly, I should visit the other half somehow. And I had just gotten a bicycle and I was riding it around and I was like, man, it'd be cool to, to ride across the country, but there's no way I could make that happen. And then it occurred to me that I now knew a lot of people across the country. And even if I didn't know them, we had something in common. We were all passionate about game design. So I basically had a reason to visit so many cities across the country. And I'm like, I can just do it that way and like just make a whole adventure out of it. It's amazing. I, I love I mean, one of the things that you touched on there that I think is really cool that I've found, like, you know, I've only really become part of the board game community in the last, you know, four to six months. Like I, it's, it's only recently that I've, you know, I've been playing board games. I've got a regular group that I've played with for nine years, once a week. Um, I've been designing games just like for kicks on the side as something else to do for, you know, two or three years. Um, and it was wild to me that as soon as I showed up in this community, Everyone was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Thanks for coming. Like, it's just a weird community compared to, in a, in a good way, compared to like other communities that I'm used to that can sort of be a lot more, more gatekeepy in some ways, although I know that can be an issue as well. But like, it, it, it happens. But generally, I have just found in general this like really wide open, welcoming community. And uh, yeah, it, it seems like the kind of people you'd like to bike across the country and visit. So. That sounds pretty absolutely, awesome. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Everything you say about the board game community is is spot on. It, you are right. There's definitely some some gatekeeping elements out there, but for the most part, I think we try really hard to push against that, and I think that's great. Um, I feel at home with other game designers and board game people all the time, and it, it it really is wonderful. And that's one of the things that I think draws us into this hobby and why we do it. Well, speaking about, you know, getting into the hobby is how did you, you know, I think everyone has a different story of how they got into board game design, but what made something click for you that you went, you know what, I'm going to design board games. What, what's your, what's your journey like on that, uh, on that story? That's, that's a great question. I, so my thoughts on this are, I was of the generation, I was 13, 14 when Magic the Gathering came out, I bought a ton and played a ton of that. And I think that one of the things that magic did really well was that time where you were by yourself and you were just making decks mm -hmm. and that was you trying to design the experience that you wanted to have in a game and so i trace my design roots very much back to those moments because i had so much more fun building the deck than i ever really did playing the deck like I don't get me wrong. I had a ton of fun playing, but like those moments where I'm just sitting in my room, listening to some CDs and just pouring over these cards. Like there's something fun about that creative process. And so as I got older, I wanted to take that creative process and like, I still 
enjoy making decks. I, I haven't played Magic in like 10 years, but like I don't get the same kind of creative fulfillment out of that because I'm like, I could make an experience in a game that already exists or I could make an experience in a game that's just in my head right now. And that sounds so appealing and so fun. Uh, so for me, it was, I would say like 75% that and then like 25%, I used to be the DM for my group for Dungeons and Dragons. I think a lot of us also started that way. I spent a lot of time creating characters that I would enjoy playing and enjoy pretending to be. And that was another part of like, I'm creating an experience that I want to play. And I think a lot of us as designers really just want to make interesting and new experiences. So that's, I guess that's my journey. No, I mean, it, it's it's fun. I mean, you know, number one, you hear tons of people who are like, well, I played D&D and then I decided to do something else eventually. Um, you know, that was sort of my my experience in it. And uh, I think, too, the idea of like, you know, for me, for designs, I, I, would, I would love to be able to design a game that I wouldn't love. And what I mean by that is like every game is like just me going like, what's the thing I like to do in games? All right, let's let's make that into into the game. Like, let's make that the experience. And so, you know, my, nice. my son and I are really similar in terms of the way we play, which is like, I'll always go for like a big fun experience over like winning. Mm-hmm. Like I was, it's, I was talking about this with, with about Dominion the other day where I was saying like, you know, with Dominion, it's like, you know, there's some strategies that work, but my strategy and my son's strategy is like, I just played 18 cards in this hand and I ended up with a <laughs> copper and a, and a duchy and like just a terrible strategy, but like it was really fun to do the stuff. And I think that's, Absolutely. Uh, that's, it's interesting. I've never really thought of the idea of like that designing a deck in magic would, would have that same sort of thing, but it's interesting because you, you're, you're building an engine, you're building a system in the same way that you'd be building a system or a place for an engine in game design. I've never really thought about like that side of it being, being design oriented. That's interesting. Well, I think I was a little bit like you too, in in the terms of at least the way I played magic. I, I was never building a deck to be ruthless and try and like win. I was building decks because we were sitting around a table with five friends, you know, having pretzels and soda and hanging out for several hours. And so I just wanted to see my deck do something weird. Yeah. And that was the experience I wanted. So like I would lose a lot, but it would be fun when the weird thing happened and people looking at me like, what, what did you just do? Why did that, like, wh- why? <laughs> and so those are just fun, memorable moments that I think we're just better than, you know, ruthlessly beating someone down. Yeah, we, we've, I, is your, like, so the, the people that you regularly game with, um, are, do they sort of have the, do you play with a group that all plays like that? Or do you have a different mix of like some really strategy, like some really focused winners? Like what, what's your experience like playing? Um, so I, man, it's been so long since I've done actual in-person gaming. So I would say that my two main groups were, uh, I have a group of high school friends. That's more the kind of stuff I'm talking about. We're just going to hang out. It's not necessarily ruthless. We're just playing to have fun and push the boundaries of the game and do weird things. And then I have a different group where it's like, yep, this is serious time. Uh, we're actually, we're getting to play together to play Twilight Imperium uh, once we're nice. all vaccinated. And I'm excited about that. That's like two days before I leave. Uh, and that will be ruthless and cutthroat and brutal. 
Yeah, we my my group definitely has like we've got a few games where we're like, yeah, we're we're not going to play that game cuz we all like each other a lot most of the time and then there's a few games that just like turn that switch of like, well, now I'm going to fist fight you. Um and it's uh yeah, it's interesting. So so speaking of not playing in person, I want to I want to talk a little bit about uh heavyweight championship playtesting. Yeah, um, let's do it. Cuz first off, it's like it's such a cool concept. I love watching on the Discord theory on, on the Discord server when you like lean into like the okay the Intercontinental Championship. I got the belt. This is a heel. <laughs> like I love the fact that you've actually themed a Discord server to be like really focused on that. But what made you say okay we need to we need to have this particular space for for heavyweight playtesting. Yeah. Um, so I want to preface this with a general playtesting philosophy before I get too deep in the rabbit hole of this. Um, I generally think that even if you have a game that takes three or four hours or whatever, I generally think that you're going to get more value out of just playtesting that game for 60 to 90 minutes. As a general rule, mm-hmm. pick a spot of your game that you want to see happen. If it's like, hey, I just inserted this new combat mechanic. Okay, cool. Put us in the point in the game where we're going to do that combat and try that out. If you're like, hey, I think my economy is going to fall apart on turn three. Figure out where turn three usually is and then like start it there. Uh, really target those play tests. That being said, sometimes we want to play those games to completion. Sometimes we don't know exactly what turn our economy is going to fall apart. And we want a play test that is going to last long enough for us to see hey, it fell apart on turn five, or, oh, cool, it didn't fall apart at all. This is great. Um, And what was happening in these uh, Discord servers is mostly the time limits were 90 minutes. There were a couple groups where I think you could push for like two hours if you really wanted to, but that was including teach time and feedback and all that stuff. Um, And that is... I would say, again, 99% of the time, the right way to run a group and you want to impose time limits and make sure that everyone is contributing and all that stuff is important. But there was definitely a like a niche that we saw that, that we could fill, that people wanted to play their games longer. Um, and sometimes that's just because we design games and we think they're fun and we want to try them out and, and tinker with them. Uh, but other times it's for those other things where you're like, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. I'd like to see a full game. And so... And so that was our goal, was to provide a place where people could do that. Because there are a lot of people that design games in more of a medium-heavy slash heavy category. And these playtests can take two, three, sometimes four hours, sometimes longer. And maybe those are too long. But um, yeah, there, there's a, obviously there's a lot of people that want to do it because we've had a, a pretty good turnout, I would say, over the last few months. Yeah, I think I think it's... It's interesting because, you know, most of the games that I've worked on designing so far are, are pretty short. Like they're, they're generally like, you know, this is going to be a 60 minute game, maybe max. Like it's probably going to sit in the 45 to 60 minute range. Um, and even on some of those, you're like, I just want to play a fight so we can see whether this fight works. Um, Absolutely. But it, it's there. It does get to a point where you're like, I, I, I think that the real point is like, I think I know when it breaks, but like, is it possible that you can play through this whole game? Like just getting through a full play test of a big, heavy game with a lot of stuff is a pretty big moment. And I like the idea that you've, you've set the stage 
Like you're not tricking people into like, hey, just come on in for a little play test. By the way, uh, it's seven hours long and <laughs> it's going to go on forever. Um, but I think, you know, it's, there's always those, those spaces for people who want to play stuff for that long and that big and, and really play it out. Um, could you maybe talk a little bit about like, what's the process look like? So how do you, how do you get to be the person who says, I have a game that I want people to, that I want people to play. And then what does it look like for play testers to say, okay, well, I want to go ahead and play this game. What's the, the sort of the logistics of it, if you will. Yeah. um, So I want to credit Bryn Smith and Ashwin. Oh no, I'm going to mispronounce Ashwin's last name. Kameth. Kameth. I'm, I'm so sorry, Ashwin. I love you. <laughs> um, but I want to credit them a lot. Uh, they are sort of the co-founders of Heavyweight Championship Playtesting. And they spent a lot of time, honestly, keeping me in check because I was like gung-ho going in. I was ready to launch this thing in like late November, early December. I'm like, what do you mean? We don't need like, we don't need to think too much about this. We should just have a place to, for people to come and they'll come and, and hang out and play games. Uh, and they were like, whoa, we need like a system because it's one thing in a light medium group for like someone to show up with a 30 minute game and like maybe they play their game and then they just bounce and no one really gets any other value out of that. But for like a heavy, for heavy games like this, that people are committing so much time, we need like a system. So uh, we put our heads together for a couple months and basically how it works is you sign up for the event ahead of time. When you sign up for the event, you can throw your game into the hat. You're like, I would like the opportunity to play my game. And once we have all the signups, we look at everyone who has thrown their game into the hat. And then we have this thing called contribution score. And the way that works is every time you show up, if you play test someone else's game, we essentially give you points for the amount of time that that takes. And we take the the games that have the highest points and we're like, yep, you've contributed. So it's your turn to get into the ring, so to speak, and play your game. Uh, And so that's how those are determined. We do also gamify that a little bit. Um, The bottom, like, couple of games that are on the cusp in terms of contribution score, we will randomize those. So, like, 75% of it is based solely on your score. Uh, But we also wanted to incentivize people to be like, eh, you know, my score is low, but I want to throw my game in just in case. Um, and so far, honestly, the way it's worked, I think we've only had to not play a few games throughout the entire past five months. Mostly we've had a really good mix of people showing up that just want to play test heavy games. Um, and, and that's something that we recognize too. So I don't know, can I talk about theme stuff a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. So, so with our wrestle, uh, wrestling shtick, uh, what we do with that is we give server roles and we call those belts. So our our like biggest belt, the most important belt, is the HCP Championship belt. And we give that to the person that has the highest contribution score. And really the only way you can get high contribution score is by playtesting other people's games and not playtesting your own. So we have our current champion is Diana Crow, who is a... Uh, I think she's new to game design. She does science writing. I think that's her actual profession, but she's really interested in game design. And she's our current champion. And I know she's working on games that have to do like uh, with environmentalism and stuff. So she will eventually sort of cash in those points and, and play her game. But right now she's the champion. And it's it's super fun to, to recognize that in, in people. 
Well, that, that's been one of the things, you know, I've, I've, I'm part of that server. I haven't had a chance to actually play test yet because I have two young kids. And so the idea of like, Hey, do you have an extra four hours on an afternoon is like, Nope, not even, I mean, you know, as we sort of said before, there's a solid chance that at any point one or two children are going to come thundering into this room. Um, but I, I've really enjoyed like that, that thematic aspect. And, and of course, you put a bunch of game designers on a Discord server and you're like, oh, well, let's make it into a game. Like, let's make the actual, like, let's gamify that thing. It's, it's not surprising yes. to me. It's it's kind of it's kind of neat and interesting. And I, I I love the fact that you've, you know, that, that people are so willing to play other people's stuff. Like, one of my, what has really shocked me about, you know, Discord and about the community in general is, like, I'll try anything. Like if I have time and you want me to read your rule book or check it out on TTS or Tabletopia or like take a look at something, I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. That's super fun. I don't often have time, but if I have any time, I'll go ahead and do it. I didn't realize that so much of the game community felt that way. Like I thought it would be people just being like, I need you to look at my stuff because it has to go on Kickstarter and I have to get this and we have to do this and this and this. And generally everyone's been like, sure, we'll help with anything anyone wants pretty much ever. Like it's, it's so interesting. Um, and, and that's why it's unsurprising to me that you've had people just be really happy with the process. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah, they're just, they like playing games. Um, have you, what's the, have you seen any particular things, trends the last little while in terms of games you're seeing come to the table? Like what kind of stuff makes its way to the table? Is there like a game you think of recently that you're like, oh, that was like a really wild experience or something that was really surprising to you? Or has there been a game that you've been like, wow, that game was like <laughs> really, really great and knocked it out of the park? Um, I, I say I always like some aspect of the games that, that we play. You know, something you have to realize with, with playtesting groups is a lot of times, you know, these are works in progress. Someone's going to show up with something that is maybe not even a game yet. Um, and so those can be fun and interesting to sort of find out how they could be games. If I'm, if I'm thinking of like real standout things that I've seen, um, let's see. David Willette has an interesting game called Draconis Rising, and I really like about half of it, and he, and he knows this. Uh, there's this interesting uh, mechanism in that game where your action is essentially to advance on, I'm going to call it a tech track. I don't think that's exactly what he would call it, but you basically, you advance something, you take a quick little snappy action, and then that's it. And the game is long and complicated and there's like area control stuff going on and there's some interesting like alliance stuff at play. Um, but what I really love and I love seeing this in these big games and this is something that big games like sometimes need to focus on and a lot of our feedback is around this is those quick snappy turns. Yeah. Even if the whole game is long, if, if my turn can just be I place a worker, I do a thing or I move a token, I do a thing, that keeps people engaged like way more often. And so I love when I see games that are sort of implementing that sort of thing. Yeah, we've, we have a couple of, a uh, couple of AP analysis paralysis players in our oh, yeah. like main group. And we've had games like we had a game of the game of Thrones board game 
which oh, yeah. is like long to begin with, mm-hmm. where the final play, the second last person's turn was 25 minutes of them Oof. like staring at a board. And it, it was just, it was really long. And, and it was like, it made sense because like there was, there was nothing in that game that was like, okay, just do a quick thing and then move on. It was like, no, everything is like the whole game hinges on whether or not this is a good decision and this is the whole thing. Uh, and then the, the really fun thing about that game is, you know, it's a game where I didn't know what was happening for three quarters of the game. I was like, I, it's kind of <laughs> like me watching Game of Thrones. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. But uh, And at the very end, it, it, so everyone's like packing up. Everyone's getting ready to leave. He takes this like really long turn. Um, and then it's my turn to end it. And I was like, I know I'm in second last, but I think if I play this and this, uh, I think I win. Um, and I just won the game oh, on like no. this last, like just <laughs> tiny play of like, I got these two cards, so I'll see you guys next week. Um, but I think, you know, when, when I think of a few games that are big, but they make you do things quickly, like I, I'm the same way. Like I like a big, big game but not when I can watch a period of hockey on my phone in between turns. Like I, that's not, that's not something I'm going to love. So I'm, I'm glad that you're seeing that in, uh, in the games that are coming to the table. So I, I, I want to ask a question really, because playtesting is an area that I have not gotten heavy into. You know, I've, I've brought my game to my group a couple times, a couple different games. I've started to get things online, but you know, one of the things you said, and I think people don't necessarily understand this was, some of the things that have been brought to you aren't even really games yet. Can you expand upon that a little bit about like, why is it okay to bring something to the table? That's like, Hey, this is a piece or a, a, a you know, a process or, or something like, what does that look like when you bring it to a playtesting table and say, I know that this isn't finished, but can we talk about it? Yeah, uh, so this is actually a great place to sort of talk about some of the differences between a group like heavyweight championship playtesting and a lot of the other groups and like what you might want your local design group to look like. Um, since we asked for like such a long time commitment at heavyweight championship eh, blah, at HCP, I'm just going to say that from now on, um, we usually get like full complete games that are games at sure. that group. But uh, in my local group, in Boston GMG and a lot of other groups, um because of the collaborative nature of what we all do and how like you know this goes back to our community being very giving and open and open and whatnot um don't be shy or afraid to bring just an idea that you thought of that morning and you guys can spend 30 45 minutes on something that like i said might not even be a game it's don't i think a lot of people get caught up in apologizing for their prototypes in apologizing for themselves. I remember I was in a playtest early in the pandemic and this, I wish I could remember their names. It was so long ago. Um, but they brought some kind of really interesting garden game to, I think it was the remote playtesting group. And it wasn't really my kind of game, but I sat down and played and they were apologizing that they were new designers and they were apologizing that their playtest was rough. And my first feedback to them was, first of all, A, I don't like these kind of games, but this is definitely a game and it's good. And B, you are game designers by simply the fact that you have come to this group and brought a prototype. That is like, I don't even want to say that's the minimum requirement. If you're thinking about making a game, you are a game designer. Don't feel bad about 
the growing pains of what your what of like what your games are are because you can guarantee that pandemic was not the same pandemic it was when it was conceived as it was at the end. I yeah. saw uh, I saw some kind of post. Is that Matt Leacock? I think that's his name. Yeah, I think so. I saw a post from him where he showed like a very early prototype and he was like, you know, I had conceived of the deck thing very early where the cards go back on top, but a lot of other stuff changed between that and the end of the game. And that's what these groups are for. Like, I I don't, I don't want to tell his story, but it's very possible that you have a mechanism that you think is like brilliant for a game and you just bring that and all the rest of the stuff around it is gross. And if people are like, yeah, but this mechanism is really cool. You should, lean into that then that's great and that's a productive play test i i really need people to hear that you don't need to apologize for the work that you're bringing because we you know all we see on game shelves are is the end result of work we don't see all that other stuff that went into it and that's it's difficult but it's not something to be sorry for you should be proud of that stuff absolutely yeah i i i i've I've definitely had the feeling when I first brought the, the first thing I ever brought to my group. So this is a group of guys that I, I play with regularly. I know that they know games really well. I know that they're relatively discerning about the games they like and the games they don't like. And I remember the first thing I brought, I was like, Hey guys, like if we could just play this for like 20 minutes, that'd be great. <laughs> and we can, if you want to quit, like we can quit and that's fine. I was like very nervous and very, and, um, you know, we ended up, number one, we ended up playing it longer than we had set time for Cause they were like, you know, this is actually like kind of cool. I'd like to see where it, where it goes. And so let's do it. But all the things that I was feeling like I was upset about, like, oh, these are like cardboard cutouts and terrible graphics and bad stuff and like all these things. And like, they didn't care about that. They were like, was well, is it fun? Like, does this part work? And like the things that I was like, that I thought were fine. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I've got the mechanisms right. They're like, Oh no, you don't. Uh, but that's fine. Uh, and it was the things that I was like worried about that they were like, yeah, who cares? Like I could care less about the graphics on your card that you cut up, you know, 20 minutes ago before we got here. And so I think getting people into that mode of like, just bring something to the table and let people take a look at it. And I think too, there's this aspect where people like, I didn't understand that people wouldn't look at my work and go, Oh, I'm going to steal that. Uh, like number one, it's so hard to steal a game because there's, it's almost impossible. The amount of work that goes into making it would make that just ridiculous. But I didn't realize how much people would be interested in making your game better. Um, and that's a, a place where I was really surprised by, um, talking a little bit about your own game design uh, life, you know, in addition to play testing, you designed some games here and there. Um, maybe uh, talk to me about like what, when you, when you're designing a game, um, where, what, it, what does your process look like or where do you start and, and sort of does that differ based on game or has it differed over time? Or do you have sort of a, Hey, this is how this goes for me. Man, it is different every time. I I wish I had a one specific process I could throw out there. Um, let's see. So for my one published game that's out there, uh, Crown of Aragon, that was um, I had a, an old friend who uh, owned a, a board game store 
um, and we would hang out and, and play games. And at one point we we're just like, Hey, we should try something. Um, and we spent a lot of time going back and forth with ideas. Um, I did a lot of the first drafty kind of stuff and then he took it and, uh, refined it down, uh, and even went on and, and I, I think conceived of some expansions. Um, so that, that process was interesting working with someone else. Um, and then everything else I've sort of done on my own. So let's see, specifically, um, the game I really like right now that I'm working on that I'm pitching right now is called Am I the One? And it is like a light cooperative game uh, where everyone at the table has the same picture except for maybe one person. Um, and using limited communication, you're not allowed to talk to each other. You have like a hand of word cards. Yeah. You You use these word cards to try to communicate what picture you have to everyone else. And then like when someone realizes, oh, I think my picture is different. They have to flip their picture face up. And if they're right, the whole group succeeds. If they're wrong, the whole group fails. Um, And my process for that was actually, I hate cooperative games. And so I'm like, how do I make a cooperative game that I would personally enjoy? And I realized, hate's a strong word. I don't usually like cooperative games. Uh, I don't often allow, I always tell my kids, like, you're not allowed Mm -hmm. to use the word hate. I let them use loathe sometimes, uh, but I don't let them use the word hate. Uh, but I will say that uh, you, can, you can hate cooperative games. It's, it's, <laughs> it's totally okay. I generally, I'm not a big fan of like, if, if the game could theoretically be played by yourself, I don't yeah. generally like that. And that's where like, you know, the whole quarterbacking thing gets into. But yeah. games like, um, I recently played The Mind and I played Hanabi and those games to me are phenomenal because of the limited communication aspect. And I really enjoy that. So I'm like, okay, cool. I found a space that I like. How can I make something that I would really enjoy in this space? And that's how I came nice. up with this. And so that was the process. I, I think I do that sometimes. I'm like, how can I make a game in that space that I wouldn't mind? Um, wouldn't mind is probably too weak that wouldn't I would really mind. like. Yeah. yeah. No, this is so this is my favorite design that I have right now. This is why I'm talking about. Nice. So it's, I, I more than don't mind it. I actively enjoy playing it. It's just this one's really hard to play on TTS because there's right. a lot of subtle body language stuff going on. Like uh, everyone's looking at me. Maybe I have the wrong card. I don't know. Yeah, there's a there's a there's an interesting point there where you're like, how hard is it to 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 play test and create like social deduction and party games and that sort of stuff right now? Like on on those sorts of systems i can't imagine how how complex that must be i'm so i i love cooperative games assuming that you don't we we call it i know it's quarterbacking we we have a different nickname we call it fern gullying in our team and we call it fern gullying because fern gullying sounds like turn bullying uh and we eventually Mm -hmm. just didn't want to call people turn bullies so we called them fern gullies um, which is a ridiculous reason for, no, that's for calling great. it that, but um, but but for me, it's the idea of like if I can look at the board in a cooperative game or look at the table or whatever and go, okay, you do that, you do that, you do that, you do this, and I win. Um, that's that's a bad game. Um, you know, it's it's one of the reasons that I struggle with Pandemic, for example, um, is a game that I'm not often love. Although I loved the. I, I liked the uh, the legacy editions because I thought that they added something interesting. Um, but for me, a cooperative game is best played if there's a chance that one of you is a traitor. So games like Dead of Winter and 
shadows over Camelot. I'm like, if there's a chance that one of you is not helping this, that to me is really interesting. So hidden information, et cetera, has to yeah, be, yeah. you know, has to be part of it. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's cool. And so, you know, looking at the games you've designed, there's, you know, sometimes you look at a designer and you go, oh, okay, so they all, they make this kind of game. Like you'll look at, you know, you look at Cole Whirl and you'll be like, or Whirly, whatever, however he pronounces his last name, the guy that did Root and, and some of the work on Vast and that kind of stuff. And you'll go, oh, they make that kind of game. Looking through the games you make, there's not a like, oh, this is exactly, this is a, this is a Phil game. Like this is a <laughs> thing that Phil makes. So is that, how do you feel about that? And I'm asking that as, I'm going to find out how you feel so I can figure out how I feel about it. But like, how do you feel about the idea that, that you don't have a, Oh, this is the kind of game that I, that I make. Um, yeah. That makes I, sense. I do think about that sometimes. Cause I, I mean, one of my designs right now is a, like an 18 card twist on tic-tac-toe that's meant to be played with your kids. And then I have like, you know, one of the more recent pitches I had was like a two hour area control uh, sort of like it, definitely a heavier game than I would want to play in our HCP group. Um, I take pride in that. I really enjoy that. I like designing all different kinds of games. Um, and I guess if we talk about process, maybe that's one of the things I do. Um, I, I mean, this, this is what I do when I look for new games I want to play too. I want to play something I haven't seen before. Um, and so I guess in my design philosophy, I want to design something I haven't designed before. Um, I specifically, I guess my most recent design is this thing about vernal pools. You must have those up where you are. Do you know what vernal pools are? No, I don't think I do. So vernal pools are specific kinds of bodies of water that are seasonal. So in, we have them a lot in Northeast United States. Uh, the snow melts, they form these pools, sure. it, it rains during the spring, the pools stay wet, but then sometime during the summer, they dry out. Um, and so these are really cool places for like amphibians uh, will lay their eggs there. So a lot of uh, right. wood toads and newts of various kinds, salamanders, um, make these their homes because fish can't live in this, these areas and eat right. all their babies. Um, so anyway, I, I'm talking about this cause I've been reading a lot about vernal. Pools no, no, I love it. <laughs> cause I, cause I want to make this game in a, in a category that I feel like I'm bad at. I'm not good at the light medium category. So like whatever you might put, I, I feel like Splendor is in this category and Ticket mm -hmm. to Ride is in this category. So I'm trying to make something in this space as a personal challenge. Um, and I guess that's kind of the process for me is like, what, what can I do that will be challenging and interesting? And so this this is it for now and you know right now i wouldn't quite call it a game yet it's definitely i've play tested a few times there are parts of it that are cool and interesting and there are parts of it that are probably too complicated because i need to learn to tone things down or bring them up where appropriate uh and so yeah so my process is also a learning process and i feel that way about a ton of stuff um and i think you probably feel that way too because we we're talking about just being interested in so many different things it's hard. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of the challenges I'm, I'm having right now is I've, you know, I, I like to challenge myself on things. So I, I like to do, you know, I'm doing this sort of board game design challenge in 2021, where every day I have to come up with, or at least post one idea for a board game. You have been on fire um, with those. 
I'm at, a, I'm at, I think, 132. I've got about 10 in the bank right now so that if I miss a day or two, I can be okay. But some of them are really fun. Some of them are <laughs> like the dumbest things I've ever thought of, but they're like kind of cool to do. But I keep bumping into, I keep seeing these board game contests, like the design contests that I've never entered before. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's the constraints. And that's like, if you just said it's a design contest, make a game, bring it to me. I've seen those before and I'm like, ah, I don't really care. But the ones right now that are like, we're going to give you these really, really strict constraints and you have to make a game in that. I'm like, ah, I wish I didn't want to as much as I want to because I just spent <laughs> today trying to flesh out an entry for the button shy contest, like their 18 card RPG contest that they're opening I up. I just saw that. That's exciting. It's It's exciting, but then it's me just being like, I don't know how to do that. Well, now I have to figure out how to do that. And that's, you know, it sounds like that's kind of your process. That's the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's fun, but it's like, I, I get to the point where I guess I wonder what like really successful board game designers think. Like, and it, not that I have any sort of jealousy per se. I mean, certainly some in, in certain ways, but like <laughs> I look at some people who've built you know, I look at Jamie Stagmeyer, I look at Matt Leacock, I look at Rob Davio, and I look at stuff and I go just, because we don't see, in Jamie's case, he does really well with design diaries. So you actually do see the whole process and that kind of thing. But like in general, what we see is you popping Scythe down on the table and going, it must be amazing just to have this pop out of your head. And then you listen to him <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. This was a horrifying experience of my life. <laughs> if I could take it back, I would <laughs> like it's, it's, it's that kind of heaviness and hardness, but it's, um, it's something that I think is interesting for designers to hear and think about from people is like game design is not just like, I didn't just spit out a game constantly. Like it didn't just come out of nowhere. And that's why I think the, the play testing part is so important. It's the part that like, I think it's the most challenging part in the entire design process. Cause like in my house, I am a, in the corner of my living room where I sit and drink coffee and have my little diary and my index cards. I'm an amazing designer. Uh, like right over there, as long <laughs> as nobody are. sees That's exactly it, right? how that works for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's perfect. Yes. But so, so what were, what have you seen? Like, what have been some of the ways that you've, you know, you've already said a little bit about like, you know, just explain to people, like, don't apologize, bring whatever you have, all that kind of stuff. What are some, some tips that you have for people to get more confident and more comfortable bringing something to the table, whether it's HCP level, intercontinental championship, whatever the case may be, what's, what do you, what do you tell people to get them from, I have this idea to, other people get to see my baby and tell me if it's ugly or not. Yeah. Um, let's see. So you actually touched on something that I think is really important before when you're talking about art and graphics, a lot of people think that's important in a playtest, and it's, it's definitely not. Don't worry about that at all. Um, I regularly will playtest things that are written on index cards or, they have many little cross out marks because the designer is changing things on the fly. Um, and actually that's something maybe to lean into confidence wise. Like if you sit down for a play test and 10 minutes in something is obviously broken, change it. 
right then. There is nothing that says that you are locked in in that very moment. Um, I've been part of playtests where we have changed things three or four times in the course of a half hour and just restarted it and been like, yeah, cool, let's try it this way. Um, something that helps me feel centered, I guess, in a playtest, uh, and I think it's just good practice anyway, is really having a clear goal of what you want to get out of the playtest. So for someone who's like their first time coming to a group, um, it's fine to just have a goal that's like, I want to come here and experience the group and get to know some people. And if that's mm -hmm. what you get out of that day, that's a really important building block for being comfortable going later. Um, if you're bringing a game for the first time in a group, don't be shy about saying that. Hey, this is my first time. Uh, I know that you guys have all done this a lot and I really hope to get X out of this experience and kind of have an idea. And that can be hard to come up with that idea. It took me a while to really even realize this was important. Um, but it's perfectly fine for your first few playtests of a game to just be like, hey, is this a game? Is it fun? Is there maybe a game out there that did this already and I've just never heard of it? Because that's one of the other reasons Ooh. to really put your game in front of people. Um, I, I'll sometimes, at this point, before I even make a prototype, I'll message someone and be like, hey, uh, you've played more games in X category than I have. It, does this sound like anything that's been done before? And either it's like, yeah, this exact game does it or no that sounds interesting and it's the no that sounds interesting ones that you should try um yeah as far as feeling comfortable around other designers in a design group i i just have to stress that we all want to see all the games succeed even if they aren't the kind of games that we're into like i regularly play test games that i'm not like i wouldn't buy the game in real life it's not yeah. a game that i would be interested in playing but that doesn't mean that I can't try and put myself in the mindset of someone who would enjoy that game. And I definitely want to see you succeed with that game. <laughs> um, and I think that's just the point of view of the community at large. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that, so I, I was a member of the, the tabletop mentorship uh, program um this last oh, yeah. uh, last semester and just signed up again actually um not to mentor yet still working on the mentee side of things but um but my mentor jamie was i was talking about okay i'm, I'm gonna bring a game to the physical table this week and so what can you tell me about doing this and one of the things that they said was tell people exactly what you want and exactly what you don't want from the play test and so one of the things they were really clear about, and this is, you know, I've had to be really careful about this with my own group, is I don't want to know how you would make this game. I want to know what's wrong with the game. Uh, and, and if the experience you're having is bad, I want to try and figure out how to fix that. And I might ask you how you think I can fix that, but I'm, I probably don't want that. What I want is you to tell me the experience you're not enjoying because part of the puzzle for me is me figuring out how to fix that. And like, if I just hand it off to you and go make all these things better, that just doesn't really do the same thing as being like, oh, that people didn't like this. All right. What is it that I need to do to this to get to get it into place? And so being really clear with the people that are playtesting your game of what you're looking for and what you're not looking for, I think is super helpful. Um, 
you touch yeah. on something very important there too. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about our playtesting guidelines at HCP, if that's cool with sure. you. Yeah, yeah um, sure. I'm very passionate about this. Uh, I'm usually the person that talks about them in our little opening ceremonies thing. Um, there are a few sort of rules to playtesting, to being a playtester. Um, and I, I would say that for the most part, they are A, don't do exactly what you just said. Don't don't try to fix someone else's game. That is the designer's job. Your job, all I can do as a playtester is tell you the experience that I had. It is up to you then as a designer to take that experience and do whatever you want with it. If you want to disregard it because maybe I'm not your target market, no worries. Or like maybe I'm the only person that's ever said that, then just ignore my, ignore what I said. But if a lot of people are starting to say, hey, I don't feel like I have a lot of choice in this game, then maybe try to put some more choice in the game. Seems like yeah. a good idea. But don't necessarily solicit ideas as to what those choices could be. Um, obviously, I mean, you can. You, like, I've definitely had little brainstorming sessions before, but I think, I guess what I mean is if I'm a, a playtester, I shouldn't monopolize the playtest by trying to redesign the game for someone else. And I, I hearken back to my days in writing workshops in college and, and all that stuff. I would never, ever take someone else's paragraph and be like, you know what? I'm just going to rewrite this whole thing for you because that's what you're doing when you offer like, hey, you should do your game this way. Don't do that. That's like pretty <laughs> offensive to say, yeah, the, the core of your writing is just so atrocious that I feel like I have to do this for you. Don't do that thing. Please, please don't do that thing. <laughs> It's, it's funny to me because I do a decent amount of uh, freelancer in a lot of areas. And one of them is copywriting and the number of things that I'll get sent to me that I'll be like, I could edit this or I could start anew. Um, <laughs> but in that case, it's they're not a writer, which is why they brought it to me, which is a very, very different, different situation. experience. Yeah. It's, they're not like, hey, I'm a writer, Mike. I'd like you to look at this writing and me be like, well, this is all terrible writing. Uh, I would not write this at all. Um, yeah, I've had... You know, I've been really lucky with the group that I have been able to play test with in that they, there have been a couple things where I've said, okay, how would I fix that? Like, I don't know how I would fix that. So what are some ideas to fix it? And they've had some good stuff. Um, but in general, I've, it's kind of nice that they're also like really, really good friends of mine. Cause I can just go like, cool, why don't you go design your own game? And then I'll play that <laughs> one and you can see if that sucks or not. So exactly. Um, but yeah, if the designer yeah. is open to that kind of feedback, by all means, feel free to, to give it. But like, if you if you're really burning to redesign that game for them, at least I mean, you at least have to be like, hey, are you open to suggestions as a play tester? Be like, hey, I think I have a fix for you. Are you cool with that? And as the designer going in, like, just be aware of yourself and know, like, is that a goal that I'm going to have for this play test? Am I going to solicit any kind of that sort of thing? Um, a lot of times those can be socially tricky situations. Um, mm. So my sort of go-to on that is I'm definitely interested, but I don't think we have a lot of time right now. Can you message me? Um, and if the person is super passionate, passionate enough that they'll actually message you, then yeah, I'll talk to them about it. But some people, they just, I don't know, they want the stage in that moment and they, you know, yeah, it's, I... it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's definitely one of the, one of the areas that I think that, that, designers 
sort of struggle with a little bit is that feeling of like, what am I going to do when someone tells me that like, cause the other thing too, is that there are games I've played and play tested, especially where I've looked at it and gone, Oh, there's like a really easy fix to this. Like there's a, there's a really simple, small, and it can be challenging as a play tester not to just be like, um, that's like, if you just, if we just turn that like this, you can see it and it's good and it's fine. And so I think it's important just to understand, like, you've got to give people the space to find that, that piece. And, and as a designer, like, understand that, that, you know, that's your job. Your job is to go make your game the best game it could possibly be. Um, and I'm know, not immune to that either. I've definitely, I mean, I've offered suggestions before. And I think, I, I don't mean to paint the suggestion giver as some horrible person who just wants no, to no, stage. Because no. realistically, we're all designers. We want to help each other. And sometimes we feel like the best way we can help is to offer that advice. Where I think the real danger comes in, and this has a lot to do with like, how do you get playtesting feedback, is the reason we have this rule in HTTP is I have seen a ton of feedback sessions derailed because the very first part of feedback will be someone saying, hey, what if you did this instead? Within like the first couple minutes of feedback. And then what happens is people start talking about the new idea and they don't talk about the experience yeah. they actually had. And as a designer, I feel like it's so important to, to hear the actual experience of the actual game that we played before I hear any suggestion type stuff. Because I need to know from everyone what were the highs and lows of this actual thing that I put in front of you and not this hypothetical thing? Because what happens with the hypothetical thing, you mentioned it before, when I'm off in the other room, hypothetically thinking about what games can be, they're all brilliant. Yeah. But when I put them in front of people, I don't know what it is about people, but they fall apart. So, <laughs> so I need the feedback on the actual thing that happened because I'm sure we could sit around and talk about you know, someone's brilliant idea, but it might not even work. Well, I mean, I, I use this rule both with, with friends and if I'm being honest, especially with my wife, where if I get a text message from either a close friend or my wife and they're complaining about something, I've actually switched into using, uh, sort of doing playtester feedback in the whole world, which is like, <laughs> do you just want to tell me about this or do you want me to do something about it? Because I'm, yes. I'm okay with either one of these things, I can be a shoulder to cry on um, or I can go fix this thing and, and try and help you find a solution. But which I just want to know which of these two things you want me to do. Um, because, you know, I, I, I was messaging a friend the other day and I was just sort of ranting about something and they sort of came back at me with something. And I was like, this, this isn't what I'm here for. Like, it, I, I'm just mm -hmm. here to tell you that I'm mad about something can I just be mad about something? And they were like, I'm sorry. Yes, you can. Please continue to be mad about something. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care that you just had a really good idea and it's probably going to work. I just want to be mad for a minute. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that can definitely be challenging for everyone. Like I, I it's, I think playtesting is so important because in my head, I know the answers. Like I know how I would play it. I know how I would do it. I know what I meant. Knowing what I meant versus knowing what it actually is like when you play a card or flip over something or move somewhere is like, they're not even in the same universe of what they mean. Like the number of rules where you're like, well, I think it means this. You think it means this. 
what does this actually mean is like it's wild to me that games ever get <laughs> made in the end because it's like <laughs> it's such a it's the lens you're looking through it through so um what's what are you what are your goals both both with as a designer and then also with hcp like what what are you thinking like here's what I really want to do. Like, are you someone who's like, I want to be a full-time game designer who does nothing but game design and that is my life? Are you someone who's like, you know what? I want to do this some and I want to do other things. And I know you're a fan of how to be everything. So I know that you probably have some other <laughs> ideas in your head. But what's your what's your sort of, um, let's talk about your life goals, Phil. Um, oh man, we're we doing some therapy now. Let's get to it. <laughs> what do you, what do you see as the as where you want to be in this uh, in this community? That's great. Um, I mean, I don't realistically know a lot of people that financially can support themselves by just designing games. So that will probably not be a thing. Um, but I do want to be very involved. I enjoy the design process. I know for a fact I do not enjoy anything to do with the business side of that. I don't want to kickstart my own games. I don't want to like start my own company because that's what it is. Like if you're like, Hey, I'm going to actually make my own game, then congratulations. 90% of your life is now running a business. And that is not something that I am built for. Uh, I'm not capable of that. I ultimately want to design games and have them signed by publishers. And like my part of the work is the design part. Uh, and I, you know, love to like go to conventions and do demos and all that random stuff, like being on the sort of front lines in that way is fun and exciting and interesting to me. Um, yeah, but you so don't want to talk to manufacturers about the cost of cardboard and, uh, no. and all that fun stuff. No, I messed around with that one time very early. Um, it was like not necessarily the first game I designed, but the first game that I was like, hey, this is okay. It could be a real game. Let me call Panda and get a quote. And then I was like, I don't have that much money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's when I realized I I didn't want to do that, that part of things. Um, And I wonder often how many people do that because they really want to do it and they really want to start a business and how many people did it because they maybe only pitched to two companies and got two no's. And then they just were like, well, I guess I have to do this myself. And that's not true. There are tons and tons of companies out there that you can pitch to. And all it takes is one of those companies to believe in your game the same way you do. And you will get it out there. Um, I kind of wish that more people did that. I, I think that more, I think that less people would find themselves like, in financial trouble or yeah. life difficulties if they just allow themselves like a year or two of patience to continue pitching and then see where things are at. Yeah. Uh, I think so, there's so yeah, like, that's, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think that that's so important. Like I've, you know, the, the number of people that I've seen in this industry and, you know, I've got friends who've, who are authors who've like, who are published authors and they're like, I had to pitch this book to, so many people before someone would actually like, you know, take me up on it. And I think too, like it can be really disconcerting because, you know, obviously kickstart is held in, in such high regard as like, okay, you want to get your game out there. Let's kickstart it. Let's go from there. And I, I still have thoughts that, you know, maybe that is something I want to do. I don't know for sure, but there is part of me that also goes like, well, I don't have 40 foot miniatures or 168,000 pieces. And so my game is not really a kickstart game. Like if you think of the games that are like really great that you love, but would never be good on Kickstarter, 
that can be really disconcerting. And so if, if the game you're looking to design is not, you know, the exact thing that just works perfectly in there, it can be really, really, um, really disheartening, I think. So I, I think people need to know that, like, you need to hear no a lot before you maybe shouldn't design games. And, and even then, you should probably still design them if you like doing it. Um, but don't hear no from like, hey, I sent this off to Fantasy Flight and they said no, so I guess I'm not a game designer or I guess I have to kickstart it myself. It's like, yeah, maybe maybe don't do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so one of the things I've been talking about recently, I, I put a video out, I don't know if you checked it out, my my literary analysis of Avalon where yeah. I, I believe games are art. And so there is that element of art is subjective. And so different people are going to have different tastes. Those first 10 publishers you pitch to might have different tastes than the 11th publisher you pitch to. And that's okay. That's fine. I don't like some of the highest rated games on board game geek. I don't enjoy. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't have been published. That just means they weren't for me. That's fine. It's, I mean, that that's, that's one of the things is that that's so surprising to me is that we, we, we think like, like we look at the games we do not want to play at all. And then we're surprised that like, oh, some people just might not like my game. Like it might not be in their wheelhouse. It might not be something they're interested in. It might be something that they really love, but they know isn't right for their company. Um, yep. You know, because their company has a very specific, hey, this is the kind of game we make. This is what we do with it. This is how we do it. Um, I just, you know, I, I think people need to to sort of, understand that well i mean i i'm in the same boat i i look at the bgg top 100 and you know number one with a bullet gloomhaven there's no game i would less like to play than gloomhaven i have zero interest in playing gloomhaven um to the point where when one of the members of my group bought gloomhaven i was like well that's neat um (laughs) i guess and and what we've had to do is with a large group of people that we have now when we can visit personally, which we can't right now, is we've got, we finally have two tables going because we're like, oh, four of you love Gloomhaven and three of us hate Gloomhaven. <laughs> and so let's figure this out and, and figure out how to play games. But I think, you know, there's no like good game or bad game. I was listening to an episode of Ludology um, this morning and Gil was talking about like, I'm not going to say this is a bad game because it sold really well but it's not a game that I like and that's okay. And like understanding that there's all these niche spaces that maybe you're the person who's going to invent and it's going to take a hundred people before someone goes, Ooh, I like that idea too. Um, I think this is, reminds is me important thing. of a disagreement I have with you that I'm Ooh. looking forward to bringing up right now. Do so it. We're talking about good games and bad games. And I saw you yes. recently uh, wrote some kind of message that you don't think that snakes and ladders is a game. And I strongly disagree with you. And I understand why you don't think that. So why do you like, think it is a game? All right. So I think your contention is that Snakes and Ladders and games like War or Candyland don't offer any choice. It's like you right. sit down and it's like zero choice, completely predetermined. And I, I agree with you. Um, as an adult, I would never play that game. But as a kid, I think they are games because I think you do have choices. And hear me out on this. So I'm playing Candyland. I'm I'm three, four, five years old. I don't know how the world works, but I think I can affect it in different ways than I understand as an adult. 
So when I draw that card in Candyland, before I draw it, I say, please be red, please be red, please be red, please be red. And then I draw it and it worked. It was red that time. So I do it again the next time and it didn't work. It's like, oh, what do I have to do this time? And I like, maybe I like use my left hand instead. And so I'm exploring the ways that I can control the universe. And because I'm three, four and five, I think that sometimes they're working. And so there are these interesting choices that aren't necessarily built into the rules of the game, but they are what make those games for kids. It's it's funny because my my son, we what game were we playing where he was like, oh, we we're playing Survive, uh, Escape from Atlantis. Um which is a game that I actually really, really, really like because it is chaotic and it's all the all the fun things happen. I haven't played that. Um, one. It, it's it's kind of cool. You you have this hexagonal board and basically At- Atlantis is sinking, so the sand sinks first and then the forest and then the mountains and you have to move your people off of it onto boats and get off to these islands. And there's sharks that eat you. There's whales that eat your boats. There's sea monsters that eat everything, and it's just really. It is chaos. Like you can have a strategy. Your strategy is dead the second you start playing. Um, But there's a dice that you have and it will either move sharks, whales, or sea monsters. And my my son, who's a great gamer, will hold the dice in his hand and look at the board and go, okay, what do I want to do? And I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, no, but it does. He hasn't figured out that it doesn't matter yet. Yeah, no, Um, that's, that's the beautiful part. Once you figure those things out, those those aren't really games anymore but there's like you have to grow out of that yeah and i mean you know look i played an awful lot of candy land and i played an awful lot of snakes and ladders um it for me and yes i i do i i know this is uh is a contention uh but for me it's the idea that so i think can't so i would actually i'll even back up a bit I'll say Candyland, I'll give you as a game. And Snakes and Ladders, I'm not going to. Because I think that there's such an easy tweak to make Snakes and Ladders give kids at the next level. Like, I guess what I mean is, I'm fine with Candyland sitting in the I'm three, maybe I'm four, and I, I'm just... I'm just doing the motions. Like I'm, I'm doing the things to sort of experience it with snakes and ladders. The idea of like a seven year old or a six year old or even a five year old playing a game where there's no agency to me is like, what bugs me is that it took, and you know, maybe the makers of snakes and ladders didn't want my feedback, but uh, (laughs) that it took two seconds for my son and I to look at it and go, well, if you made a choice between rolling one die and rolling two dice in a game of Snakes and Ladders, this is suddenly a game where there is like significant choice, tons of player agency, and it's that little tiny piece. So, yeah, it's interesting because I was I was reading today through this 18-card RPG. I was reading through the the Discord server as people were talking about what it could be, what it couldn't be. And it was people defining what a role-playing game is. Oh no. And I like, I I was like, I'm going to go, I have to leave. Like, because there's these really clear definitions that some people will have. And so I will make the statement snakes and ladders isn't a game. I'll also agree that snakes and ladders is a game um, because it, it does do the things you're saying. 
Um, and I, I'm hesitant to, to make those sort of grandiose statements in anything <laughs> less than a semi in jest, I would say. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I think this is probably now that we have had the only real disagreement we've had on the entire, uh, on the entire, uh, show. Good job. Um, Very harmonious. I, I liked it. <laughs> I think this is a, uh, probably a good time to, to wrap things up a little bit. So, uh, number one, I'm going to pop in uh, where people can find you in the show notes so that I, I've always found it funny when people are like, oh, where can you find me on these things on a podcast? Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I, can't I probably can't, I can't yeah. click on your voice and I can't do that <laughs> thing. So I'm going to put all that stuff in, uh, in the show notes. But is there anything in closing you want to say to people, whether it's about design, whether it's about playtesting? Whether it's about bicycles uh, before we uh, before we wrap up for the day. Oh man! Well, well, to keep in in line with sort of the theme of I, what I think the show is is if you are out there listening to this and you are thinking about game design, then you are a game designer and you should believe in that and you should progress with it and put whatever ideas are in your head in front of people and learn from that. And that can only be a positive and fun experience for you. I love it. I love the positivity. I can't wait for the first person who like comes on and at the end when I'm like, what advice do you have? They go, uh, just give up. You're never <laughs> going to make it. Uh, I, I look forward to that. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with this. And I'm glad we could get this in uh, before you hopped on a bicycle and went across the entire country. So good luck on, uh, you. on board game bike. Yeah, and, in terms uh, of where to find me over the course of the next three months, uh, riding my bike across the United <laughs> States. How do we get a hold of Phil? Uh, go to <laughs> Delaware at three o'clock and uh, try and see him. Something well, like I, that. I, thank you so much, Phil. This has been fantastic. And uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you too. This was really great. I appreciate it. Awesome. Take care. Peace.